بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يحته الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار uh, So today is our third and final lesson in explanation of the hadith of Hudayfa bin al-Yaman radiyallahu anhu uh, regarding the good and the evil. So just to recap the previous two lessons because we know it's been two weeks gap at a time. So just to give an initial uh, recap of what we've covered in the previous two lessons. Uh, so we mentioned a brief biography of Hudayfa bin al-Yaman radiyallahu anhu and we mentioned a couple of things about him. First of all, that the Messenger of Allah Sussan confided in him certain secrets uh, from them are the names of the hypocrites. So he knew the names of the hypocrites and some of the companions like Umar bin al-Khattab would come to him in that respect. Also, he had knowledge of the fitan, of the tribulations to befall this ummah from the passing of the Messenger of Allah to the final hour. And that's why we see Hudayfa narrating a hadith about fitan. And this is, this is one of them. And so after that, the various points that Shaykh Ubaid rahimahullah extracted, first point was look at the eagerness and the zeal of Hudayfa specifically, but the companions in general, because it wasn't just Hudayfa bin al-Yaman who wanted to know the evil. This is something general because this itself arises out of the prophetic guidance. But in this instance, Hudayfa bin al-Yaman radiyallahu anhu, he showed this eagerness uh, to, to know the evil in order to protect himself from harm. And so point number two, as we said, this is because the guidance of the Messenger of Allah itself came with every good and encouragement to follow it. And likewise, knowledge of every evil and, uh, and, and encouragement to keep away from it. And after this, the Shaykh mentioned a principle in the religion from Shaykh al-Islam ibn al-Taymiyyah This would be point number three, uh, where he summarizes the religion into two principles. The first principle is to worship Allah alone, to single out Allah in worship, and then to encourage and to entice others upon this, to be upon Tawheed and to single out Allah in worship. And then to make loyalty, to have muwalat, to love and to have loyalty on the basis of this creed and this worship. And fourthly, to consider to be a disbeliever, the one who abandoned this way. 
right? So the one who abandons the way of Tawheed and singling out Allah in worship, we have to love and have loyalty on the basis of that, but also in accordance with what the Quran has come with to make takfir, to consider a disbeliever, the one who is not upon this way of singling out Allah in worship. That's one half of the religion. And the other half is to abandon, to abandon the, the, the shirk and worshipping others alongside Allah and to make taghlid, which is to consider this to be something serious and to warn the people uh, from it and to caution people against it. And then to have mu'adat, mu'adat, which is to have enmity and disloyalty for the one who falls into, uh, on its basis, on the basis of those who commit shirk, and then to make takfir of the one who falls into it. Takfir man fa'alahu, of the one who falls into it. Right? So this is the religion in, you know, in, in two simple principles. So that's point number three from the things that the Sheikh mentioned. Point number four is what we see in the action of Hudayfa bin al-Yaman radiallahu anhu is to return back to the people of knowledge. In this case, it is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And uh, this is on the basis, uh, from this we also derive that the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets. Uh, the, the Anbiya do not leave wealth, dinar or dirham, but they leave knowledge. And it is the, the scholars who inherit this uh, knowledge. And this knowledge is dis distributed in the masajid. This is where the, the wealth is. And we mentioned to you the narration of the companion who went to the market and said, you people are here, yet the inheritance of the messenger of Allah is being distributed. And so they said, where? He said, in the mosque. So they came to the mosque and they saw people praying. They saw people sitting in uh, little gatherings. Uh, discussing knowledge or teaching knowledge, they saw some people making dhikr and they said, well we've come here and we, all we've seen is people doing ibadah, doing dhikr, you know, uh, teaching knowledge, Where, where's the inheritance? And he said, well that's the inheritance, it is, it is the ilm, it is the knowledge and so wh whoever takes from this knowledge, he has taken, you know, a great uh, treasure, a great portion. So, uh, so that's what the action of Hudayfa shows, that we return back to the people of knowledge in uh, major serious uh, affairs in which there is benefit and harm. Also, the Sheikh mentioned, as he started to discuss the hadith, as Hudayfa said, that we used to be in jahiliyyah. Jahiliyyah. This is the period of ignorance, the absence of revealed knowledge, the absence of revelation, in which the people were living in backwardness, darkness, ignorance, superstition, uh, oppression, tyranny, uh, breakdown of society, intoxicants. This is, the, this is ignorance, jahiliyyah. And then Allah brought us this good. And so this first good mentioned by Hudayfa is the Islam, uh, the Quran, the Sunnah, the revelation of the Quran and the Sunnah. And it is Islam by which Allah rectified the earth, the society. And likewise, it is the Khilafah of Abu Bakr and the Khilafah of Umar bin al-Khattab. All of this is from within the Khair. 
So then Hudayfa said, will there be any evil after this good? So this now is the first evil. And so the messenger of Allah said, yes, there will be some uh, evil. And the scholars explained this evil is a reference to the killing of Uthman radiallahu anhu, the assassination of Uthman. And so this was the first evil really to appear in the Muslim nation, uh, which, which broke the unity and the strength uh, that was present uh, in the time of Abu Bakr and Umar. And so this is, is the evil. And then Hudayfa said, will there be any good after this evil? And the messenger of Islam said, yes, but there will be some dakhan, there will be some taint or some you know, cloudiness in, in it. And so the scholars explain this good is the Khilafah of Ali radiallahu anhu. So after the initial turmoil, Ali radiallahu anhu, uh, he brought the ummah together and he was the one who was closest uh, to the truth. But there will be some dakhan, there will be some um, taint, there will be something not, not quite, you know, uh, right. And, and so he said, what, what is this dakhan? And so he said, there will be a people who will not follow my guidance and they will not follow my sunnah. Right, so this now is an initial appearance of, of deviation from the sunnah, from the guidance of the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so in this time, we see some of the schisms and we see the, the seeds of the, 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 the khawarij and the, the shia and the rafida after them uh, you know the the seeds are sown for this to be to be planted into the the ummah and people leaving the guidance that that the sahaba used to be upon it's the starting point of that and then hudayfa said and will there be any evil after that good and so the messenger of islam said yes and he described that there will be a people who will be standing at the gates of hellfire and whoever responds to them, they will be thrown into the hellfire. These are the callers to misguidance. These are the heads of misguidance. So this means that after this period, there will be individuals, there will be callers. And Hudayfa then said, describe them to us. And so the messenger of Islam said that they are from our, you know, from, from our jild, uh, from our... Uh, like lineage, meaning they're, they're Arabs, and they speak our tongue. And uh, meaning that they are not some foreign people from some other religion or from some other, but they are, they are from within ourselves. And they will be callers to the hellfire by way of misguidance that they will, that they will call the people to. So this uh, brought us to, I think, the point where we, where we almost finished. There was two points that the Shaykh covered at the end of all of this as he was speaking about uh, the, the misguidance that will appear within, within the Ummah. He mentioned two additional things, two issues. The first issue was the issue of something called Al-Muwazana. Al -muwazana. This is a false principle um, which, by which people... So, so obviously, in light of this hadith, we know that there will be people of misguidance calling to the hellfire and we see in the way of the Sahaba and the Salaf who followed them how to behave in relation to these people. 
It is to warn the ummah from them and to caution the ummah against them. And we see a hadith from the Messenger of Allah about the khawarij, about the qadariyyah, and in some hadith which some scholars consider to be authentic, the rafidah, how he mentioned them and warned against them by name as a group. So when these groups appeared, the sahaba, they did exactly what the Messenger of Allah, uh, you know, what he, what he uh, stated. So we see Ibn Umar, he declared himself free from uh, the Qadariyyah. We see Ali bin Abi Talib, anhu, he, he basically fought against uh, the Khawarij and he killed uh, the Khawarij. And so we see these steps were taken by the, by the, by the Sahaba. And so this principle called Al-Muwazana is a, is a, a modern, innovated principle by which the people, these people want to shield and protect the heads of misguidance that they are following, whose teachings they are following, whose books they are reading, uh, from the, you know, Harakiyin and the Hizbiyin and, and people upon Hizbiyah. So they invent this principle and they said that whenever you criticize somebody, then you also have to mention his good points at the same time, otherwise you have fallen into oppression. Right, and uh, this, as we said, this principle has been innovated for a certain or for a particular objective. It is to silence the people of the Sunnah from speaking the truth, it is to silence the people of the Sunnah from pointing out the heads of misguidance who mislead people, it is to compromise the truth, right? It is to uh, allow the rejection of the evidence based criticisms and the evidence-based refutations of the people of knowledge, of people of misguidance. So the Shaykh clarified the error of this principle. He brought evidences from the Quran and from the Sunnah to show why this principle is false. It is refuted by the Quran. It is refuted uh, in the Sunnah. And um, the Shaykh discussed that. And the final thing that we finished with, the Shaykh discussed also another very dangerous idea which is Wahdatul Adyan, which is this issue of the unity of religions. And we actually see whenever we read the Sheikh's various books and explanations, this issue keeps coming up again and again and again. The issue of the unity of religions, the call to, uh, you know, the, in, in which it is claimed that the religions and specifically Yahudiyyah and Nasraniyyah, Judaism, Christianity, that they are all Abrahamic faiths, they are revealed, they are heavenly religions, and that they all call to the same thing. And whoever follows any of these religions, he will reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the, this statement or this call is, is something, uh, it's happened in the past because it's tied to Wahdatul Wujud you know, this, this innovation of the Sufis. But in a modern sense, uh, sadly, we see it's, it's appearing and surfacing every now and then. Uh, we find it amongst the Ikhwanis. They speak like this, like Hassan al-Banna, uh, his position towards the Yahud and towards the, Nasran, the, the Nasraniyyah in Egypt, in, in Misr. Uh, but it's sadly, you know, it's surfacing every now and then. The scholars like Sheikh Ubaid and others have, have clarified that this is a false and evil call. And Ibrahim alayhi salam, 
was a Muslim, was a Hanif, was not upon uh, the way of shirk, he was a Muslim. And Yahudiyya and Nasraniyya, as we saw from the speech of Qatada that we mentioned at the end of the lesson, that these are innovations. This is an innovated religion. And, you know, it, it has nothing to do with a revelation that Allah sent to Musa salam or to Isa This is altered religion. This is fabricated religion. So this call is, is really an, an evil call. And we finished by saying that in the modern age, the way that people call to a universal religion or, or the unity of religions is, doesn't have to be in, in the direct way like this. It can also be in an indirect way as well. And from the ways that uh, this can happen is where people are made to unite on the basis of you know, issues to do with like the world, like social justice and economic justice and climate justice. And, you know, th these are all like social justice movements where you take something which is, which is not the creed, it is not tawheed, it is not the kalima la ilaha illallah, it is not singling out Allah in worship, it is not believing in all the prophets without distinction between them, it's not believing in all of the revealed books without this, it's not any of this which is from the foundation of Iman. Right? It's rather, it's, you know, we're, we're polluting the earth. We're going to destroy the earth. Oh, there's, there's too much racism. We have to deal with racism. Oh, there's not equal rights for women. We need to empower women. It's all of these other side things. Right? And so then, they, and specifically, they focus on the children because the children do not have the critical, rational thinking faculties because they haven't developed and their ideas haven't formed at that age. So they put these ideas that the most important thing is that we have to fight racism, we have to fight uh, you know, uh, pollution, climate change, global warming, uh, we have to fight uh, you know, all these side things and uh, equal rights you know, for, 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 for women, for, for the, you know, the alphabet people and, and so on and so forth. And so then the children are brought up thinking that this is what they have to pursue in life and if at the same time the parents are not nurturing them upon Tawheed, the Sunnah, and you know uh, the, the things around which we should have wala and bara and things like that. Then th these children will be will be gone, right? And then the unity will not be based upon iman, Tawheed, but it will be based upon these other issues. And the next thing you know, these same people will be saying, "Well, we all doesn't matter what religion you follow." As long as we deal with these issues that we agree upon, climate change, global warming, equal rights, empowerment of women, and so on and so forth, it doesn't matter what religion you follow. Religion is a, is a private and a personal thing. So we come to the same end result. We come to wahdatul adyan, but in an in a indirect way. Right? So this is very, very uh, dangerous uh, because more so... You know, even though in the Muslim countries we, we, we have some degree of that, but in, in these countries, you know, this is an actual agenda being carried out through education, through the you know, life cycle of education. So we have to be very, very wary and careful uh, in respect to that. So anyhow, this is a short recap of what we covered uh, in the previous kind of two lessons. So to continue uh, from where we left off. So... So basically, we, we, uh, in this hadith, you can see that there is jahiliyyah, 
then there is good, then there is evil, then there will be good with a bit of taint, right? Which is, you know, which is people not following the guidance, not following the sunnah. Then there will be some evil after that. And this is where we have the heads of misguidance, calling to misguidance. And so in this context, we'll continue from where we left off. So in this context, the sheikh, rahimahullah, he says that indeed the scholars of guidance from the companions of the Prophet they warned severely because they, they have this knowledge what, what Hudayfa is mentioning. So they warned severely from the people of innovation, people of misguidance, those who are a great danger upon Islam. To the extent that Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu anhu he said, and he warned against such people, إِيَّاكُمْ وَأَهْلَ الرَّأِي فَإِنَّهُمْ أَعْدَاءُ السُّنَنْ Beware of the people of opinion, for indeed they are the enemies of the sunnah, the sunnah, what, what is in the sunnah. And أَيَّتْهُمْ أَحَدِيثُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ That the ahadith, to, to preserve and to memorize the ahadith of the Messenger of Allah they were incapable. It was too much for them to, to, to preserve and to memorize them. So they began to speak with opinion. So they went astray and they led other people astray. So in this quote from Umar bin al-Khattab, this shows how misguidance appears. Some people do not have the concern and the ability to collect the ahadith of the messenger of Allah, the authentic ahadith, to memorize them, to preserve them, to derive from them the fiqh, the understanding. All of this is, is too much for them. Right? Unlike those whom Allah guided from the scholars of the Muslims, you know, from the tabi'een and their students, such as like Imam Malik and uh, Az-Zuhri and, and you know, the, the scholars, Ibn Sirin and people like that, great scholars like that, but there will, there will be some people who are, do not have the caliber and the ability and the means to have this. So, in the absence of that knowledge, what do they do? They start speaking with their opinion in issues, in issues of creed, in issues of, of fiqh, in jurisprudence. And so they go astray and in turn they lead other people astray as well. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah what did he say? So again, these, remember, these are statements from the companions in their time, observing in real time what the messenger of Islam told them would happen in this ummah. And so the way the companions responded to this is the foundation of, of our methodology because it is taken directly from the prophetic guidance in relation to these issues. What did Ibn Abbas say? He said, he said, by Allah, I do not believe that there is anyone who's perishing, meaning anyone who, who, who's dying, is more beloved to shaitan today than me. So it was said, faqil wa kayf. It was said to him, how? How is this? So he said, تحدث أو تحدث البدعة 
في المشرق أو المغرب فيحملها الرجل إلي فإذا فإذا انتحت إلي قمعتها بسنة فترد عليه. He says an innovation, some bid'ah in the religion, appears in the east or in the west. Someone introduces something into the religion. It could be a belief, could be a statement, could be an act of worship. And then, in the east or the west, and then a man comes and brings it to me. He brings it to me. So then I subdue it or I destroy it with the sunnah. And so then it is refuted or rejected against that, that individual who innovated it. So this is the way of the Sahaba in relation to that which opposes the religion and is an innovation. Ash-Sha'bi rahimahullah, the Shaykh quotes a statement from Ash-Sha'bi rahimahullah, Iyakum wal muqayasa Beware of making analogies, of the analogy, where you start making analogies by way of your, of your opinions. And then he was... Uh, making uh, uh, a signal with his hand, and then, uh, uh, sorry, then he said, sorry, he said, فَوَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لَإِنْ أَخَذْتُمْ بِالْقِيَاسِ لَتُحَرِّمَنَّ الْحَلَالِ وَلَتُحِلَّنَّ الْحَرَامِ فَمَا بَلْغَكُمْ عَنْ عَمَّنْ حَفِذَ مِنْ أَسَابِ مُحَمَدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم فَخُذُوهُ أَوْ قَالَ فَخُذُوهُ بِهِ So he said, so he said, by him in whose hand is my soul. If you were to start taking by way of analogy, meaning making analogies, qiyas, in the religion through your reason, then you will be led, you will certainly make haram what is halal, and you will make halal what is haram. So whatever has reached you from those who memorized from the companions of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then take it or you know take hold of it. Right? So in these, as the Shaykh says, what these companions, what they mean, what they intend in these scholars, is the opinion that clashes with and opposes a text. A person speaks with his opinion and there's a hadith that maybe he does not know about it but it clashes with, with the revelation. This is the type of opinion uh, and the use of analogy which helps in you know, undermining the religion. And they warned against this. Likewise, Mus'ab bin Sa'ad, rahimahullah, he said, لا تجالس مفتونا فإنه لن يخطئك so he said, do not sit with the person who's been put to trial. Someone who's been put to trial in his religion with misguidance, with, you know, with whatever. For indeed, there will not be you will not miss one of two things right one of two things will not fail to 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 come to you either he will put you to trial and you will follow him or he will harm you 
before you separate from him. Right? Now, remember this is in the affairs of religion. And in the previous lesson, we gave an example to show that how a person in his worldly interests, we know that he does everything to protect his worldly interests. For example, typical scenarios that many of us uh, could be in or that we might face at some point in our life is, for example, we might want to work with somebody, we might want to have a trade relationship with somebody, we might want to do a business with somebody. And you want to know, is this person trustworthy? Is he reliable? Uh, can I trust him? Uh, you know, because you don't want to be harmed in terms of your wealth. Right? And you would take the effort to, to make that determination. Similarly, if you were to marry your daughter to somebody, then likewise, you would go through many, many uh, you know, hurdles and, and things to, to try and find out, is this person, is this man, you know, is, is he uh, trustworthy? Is, does he have good character? Is he upon the right creed? Because you don't want your daughter or your, your you know, offspring uh, to be harmed in the worldly sense, right? This is, this is all worldly. And when it comes to the hereafter, and when it comes to the religion and the hereafter, then even more so should we, should we be careful because as we see in the statement of Mus'ab bin uh, Sa'ad, as, as we've just read, that we shouldn't sit with a person who is put to trial in his religion. What do we mean put to trial in his religion? Put to trial meaning put to trial with innovation, with misguidance, with evil speech against the scholars, with separation and isolation from uh, the people of truth, the jama'ah, ahl-sunnati wal-jama'ah, the people upon the way of the salaf, right? There are people who are put to trial in their religion, or the people who are put to trial with misguided scholars, evil scholars, who will not disassociate from them and, and follow them in their misguidance. This is the one who is maftoon. So either if you sit with such people, he's going to convince you if you don't have any knowledge, uh, if you don't have any knowledge of the issues, he'll confuse you and maybe draw you into his web of misguidance. Or, you know, uh, before you leave him, he will, he will, you know, bring some harm to you, maybe some, you know, uh, disturbance or harm to you in terms of what, what he's saying to you. So this shows the great harm in all of this. And all of this is drawn out of the hadith of Hudayfa bin al-Yaman in relation to who? Two people mentioned. First of all, the dakhan, a people who do not follow my guidance, nor do they follow my sunnah. And then what comes after that? Callers standing at the gates of hellfire. Whoever responds to them, they will throw him into it. Likewise, connected to this, the Shaykh brings the statement, famous statement from Ibn Aqil, rahimahullah. This is a great statement. And he said, Qala Shaykhuna Abu al-Fadl al-Hamadani. Our Shaykh Abu al-Fadl al-Hamadani said, Mubtadi'atu al-Islam wal-wadi'una lil-ahadith ashaddu min al-mulhideen. He said, the innovators of Islam and the fabricators of ahadith. Right, so mentioned two categories of people. The innovators, those who invent and introduce things into the religion, that which is not from it, that could be a belief, it could be a statement following a belief, it could be actions of worship. So those people and al-wadi'una 
Those who fabricate reports against the messenger Muhammad right? They fabricate hadiths which are, which are not true. He said these people are more harmful, are more severe than the mulhideen, than the you know, non-Muslims, heretics, atheists. Because the, the non-Muslim uh, heretics قَصَدُوا إِفْسَادَ min kharij. This is because the non-Muslim uh, heretics, they desire to corrupt the religion from the outside, externally, from the outside. And وَهَاُولَا قَصَدُوا إِفْسَادَهُ min dakhil. And these people, they desire to corrupt the religion from inside, internally. And obviously these people, the innovators who introduce things or the fabricators of hadith, it's irrespective of what their intentions are. Because even with a good intention, this still counts as corruption of the religion. Right? And this is, this is the case with even the... Fabricators of hadith, when you look at many of the fabricators of hadith, what did they say? Well, I'm lying for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I'm lying to, you know, to, to raise the, and to, right? So this is supposed to be like with a good intention. This is still lying and it's a fabrication. And likewise, people who go astray in terms of belief and they innovate things, that may not necessarily be with an evil intention. It could be with a good intention. But it is because of ignorance and not being with the scholars and, and jahal and using ra'i and following desires, a person is led to evil statements and evil beliefs. Right? Even though he may not have a good intention. So good intention is not a defense here. We don't say, well, he's got good intentions. Right? Because we were looking at the harm that, that, that's actually being, 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 being done. So he continues and he says, فَهُمْ meaning the people on the inside who are the innovators and the fabricators of hadith, فَهُمْ كَأَهْلِ بَلَدٍ سَعُوا فِي إِفْسَادِ أَحْوَالِهِ وَالْمُلْحِدُونَ كَالْحَاضِرِينَ مِنْ خَارِجِ فَالدُّخَلَاء يَفْتَحُونَ الْحِسْنِ so he, said, he says that these people from the inside who are the innovators, the misguided groups, the misguided sects, and the heads of misguidance, and the fabricators of hadith, those two, these people are like the, uh, they are, so they are people who try to corrupt the place from the inside and the non-Muslims are on the outside, non-Muslim heretics on the outside. And so the ones on the inside, they open up the doors to the fortress, to the castle for the ones who are on the outside. And so they are more evil upon Islam than those who do not wear the cloak or the gown of Islam. Now, Maybe to give you some examples, this will make clear to you. We'll give three examples to illustrate how this is the case, how this can be the case. So the first very clear and obvious example is that of the Shia Rafida, the Rafida Shia. The Rafida Shia, Shism or, or the way of the Rafida, because there are different levels. But we are speaking here of the Rafida. And as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah says, 
that this religion of the Rafida was created in order to clash with and to destroy Islam from its very foundations. This bid'ah of the Rafida is unlike other bid'ahs, right? Like the Khawarij, like the, the you know, the, the, that of the uh, people of Kalam, the Mu'tazila, Ash'aris, Maturidis. This, this way of the, of the Rafida, because as it was uh, created uh, and set up by hypocrites, as Ibn Taymiyyah mentions, hypocrites and disbelievers, it was set up in order to destroy and undermine Islam. Right? The claim that all of the Sahaba, bar a few, became disbelievers, apostates, the claim that the Quran has been uh, tampered with or is not the complete Quran, right? the claim that Ali radiallahu anhu should have been uh, the Prophet or that he is Allah himself. Right? All of these doctrines, they were put in and infused in order to clash fundamentally with, with Islam. So this is why Shiism, or more specifically the Rafidi, like the Twelver, the, the Twelver Shiism, the Rafida, because as we said, there are different levels, right? So, so the initial Shia, there's different groups. The initial Shia, they sided with Ali against Muawiyah in the issue that happened between them, right? And when the fitna ended, and Muawiyah became the ruler, and Muawiyah anhu went and conquered many lands, and he was victorious, he conquered many places, and he was a good leader, then those initial group of Shia, then they praised Muawiyah. Right? So meaning that this, at the very beginning, was just like a small initial thing to do with the issue between Ali and Muawiyah, and then it, it went with a certain group of people, right? And so they had nothing against any of the other Sahaba. It was a temporary thing. And then they believed and accepted Muawiyah was a righteous leader and so on and so forth. Then there was another group out of that, that current of people who later on, they rejected Abu Bakr and Umar, right? And... From this group of people came what we call the, 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 the Rafida, the Rafida, right? And then at the same time, because there was other things happening with, with Abdullah bin Sabah and the ideas he was pushing about Ali should have been the prophet or he is Allah himself and other, other ideas, these entered the Rafida and then this became like it took its own development in, in a certain direction. And then out of the Rafida came even more extreme groups like the Ismailis, Ismailis and the Nusayriya, right? The, 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 these are kuffar, they, they went outside the fold of Islam. And even the Rafida as a group, their doctrines are doctrines of, of kuffar. So as we said, there are different groups amongst them. So when this movement appeared amongst the Muslims, then it allowed enemies from the outside from the outside to enter into Islam and to wear the mask of Shiism, right? So there were many, for example, from the Persian Magian fire worshippers, they were very unhappy that Islam came and Islam ended their empire, 
right? And they wanted to attack Islam somehow. So they came and they came, you know, through the direction of, you know, the face, wearing the face of Shiism, you know. Likewise, many philosophical movements who are trying to merge philosophy, Greek philosophy with the mysticism uh, and with the, the, the Sharia, try to merge it all together. They came and they came in the face of, of Shiism, right? So this is a clear example of where when there is innovation, deviation, misguidance uh, from, you know, from, from among the Muslims, it then becomes a vehicle, a vesicle for other people to enter and to create the corruption. A, a more recent example would be, um, what's his name? Uh, Jamaluddin al-Irani. Jamaluddin, you probably heard Jamaluddin al-Afghani. He wasn't an Afghani, he was an Irani from Asadabad in, 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 in Iran. He's a Freemason, right? And, and he's been put up by uh, Western uh, Freemasonry to go to the Muslim lands and to create revolution, turmoil, to go to Egypt, to go to different places, and to try to convince the rulers to change the way they are ruling so it's in the interests of the, of the Western, you know, the, the, the imperialists, right? And he, he's come as a... He's a Rafidi, he's a, he claimed to, claiming to be Afghani, but he's a Rafidi, trying to hide his, his background. Clear example. And so this thing continues all the time, and this is the, the great danger of, of what innovation, what it does. Right? It opens up the door for the enemies to enter, for them to do their plots and intrigues, and it weakens the people of Islam. That's one example anyway. Second example is the Khawarij. The Khawarij are people who so so the rafida that is pure hypocrisy and it is kufr that clashes with islam and it's characterized with treachery treachery right so this is the rafida <coughs> the khawarij are a group of people who are ignorant and they have zeal and they have emotion, but they have no knowledge, right? So look at the difference between, between the two. The, rafid, the, the rafida, this is evil intentions, it is hypocrisy, it is intended to destroy Islam from its foundations, and it is characterized with treachery and backstabbing in more ways than one. And that's why through history, the rafida are always known to ally with non-Muslim invaders, non-Muslim enemies against the Sunni Muslims throughout history, right? Because it is fundamentally a war against Islam from inside, and so we see treachery and backstabbing, you know, uh, among them. The Khawarij is slightly different. Because the Khawarij are basically ignorant people, filled with emotion, no knowledge, did not take knowledge from the Sahaba, and they have a lot of zeal, a lot of fervor, uh, no understanding and so what they do is uh, obviously they, 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 they see injustice they see oppression from a ruler they see injustice it could be real actual injustice it could be just be perceived injustice could be misunderstanding it could be from their ignorance that there are things which Islam allows a ruler to do which they think is, is kufr for example such as treaties or giving gifts to uh, other uh, states or non-Muslim rulers or having diplomacy or trade relations or whatever it might be or it could be a sin sins that they fall into anyhow they exaggerate 
and they want to basically, they want to uh, fight and they want to remove the ruler and they break off as a separate group, right? So this now opens up the door for non-Muslims watching from the outside to use these types of groups to then weaken that Muslim nation or those Muslim nations even further, right? And this has happened like in history and in the modern era, there's a very, very clear example. You all know people like ISIS, people like Daesh, you know, the, 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 these are funded, supported, you know, nurtured, aided, helped, you know, by the, by the intelligence agencies of the West. Why? Because they helped to destabilize uh, Iraq and Syria and, and uh, you know, Libya and, and all these other places. So when you have turmoil, it, it's, it's very easy to then, and, and that's what they've done, you know, you, very clearly you see uh, in Iraq, uh, in Libya, in Syria, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment, inshallah. I'm going to come back to that point. Uh, but anyhow, anyhow, this is a second example, the Khawarij. What do you see? What's with the Khawarij? It is ignorance, emotion, zeal, and which can be monopolized and manipulated for certain agendas. With the Rafida, what is it? It's basically just outright hypocrisy and treachery and whatever it might be. That can be used in its way as well. A third example is, is Sufi, Sufism, Sufiya. And uh, Sufism is like an entry point for the Christians. So that's why many, many Christians who are Christians, they, they come into Sufism and they bring a lot of their philosophy with them because Christianity uh, was, was, was transformed, sorry, uh, Christianity as a religion came to be uh, after the distortion of the message of Isa salam because of Greek philosophy, because of Greek philosophy, right? And through the influence of Greek philosophy, the, they became confused about, okay, uh, what, who is Isa, what is Isa, and, you know, does he have divinity? And all this came through uh, kind of philosophical ideas and words that they used uh, that came from there. And so you see often many, many Christians who become Muslim, they go straight into Sufism. Because Sufism appeals to Christians because it's fairly close to what they were upon. Because within Sufism is a lot of, you know, mysticism and philosophy and, you know, things of that nature. And so Sufism itself becomes a vehicle for external ideological movements that want to infuse you know philosophy and things like that and that's how through the sufis the wahdatul adyan the unity of religions comes through them as well through that direction as well right that all religions are the same you follow your own path you will reach allah whatever it might be so anyhow these are three clear major examples of how the mubtadi'a reflecting upon what uh, abul fadl Al-Hamadani said in this amazing statement that this is how the people on the inside they are like those who open the fortress for the enemy that is outside and allow them to come in and then to harm you know, Islam and the Muslims even further. So anyhow, the Shaykh brought all of these statements, these narrations in the context of what? Of the messenger of Allah saying there will be a people who will not follow my guidance nor follow my sunnah. This is the Dakhan. 
And then after that, the evil which comes after that, people standing at the gates of hellfire, whoever responds to them, they will throw him into it. So what is the, what is the response to all of this? What is upon us? The Sheikh mentions that from our methodology is at-tasfiya and tarbiya. At-tasfiya and tarbiya. These two things have to go together. We have to teach the people, the deen of Allah, from the Quran, from the Sunnah, from the way of the, the seerah, the way of the righteous salaf. So we teach them from, you know, this is teaching them uh, the religion. And then on the other side, it is tasfiya. It has to be purification. We have to purify from uh, this religion, from all of the impurities of shirk and innovation and all of the you know, acts of disobedience and whatever, these two things have to go hand in hand if we want there to be you know, a strong religion and a strong ummah and having the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and having the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is what allows the ummah to be strong and noble and to be you know, like how it used to be in the past. So from all of this, this is like this section to conclude this section what do we see from this? We see misguidance will enter the ummah, people speaking out of ignorance, people speaking out of opinion, speaking, people speaking with desires, and these different uh, groups and sects appearing, they are the reason and the cause for the weakening of the ummah, for the splitting of the ummah, for the removal of blessings from the ummah, from the Muslims fighting amongst themselves, right? And so long as this remains, then there cannot be any real true, true unity. And the Sheikh mentioned numerous statements from the Salaf, beautiful statements in that respect. So, after all of this, so this is the understanding of what the Messenger of Allah was saying to Hudayfa. What did Hudayfa say after this? He said, فَمَا تَأْمُرُنِي إِنْ أَدْرَكَنِي يَذَالِكِ Right, so now he's heard the Messenger say about the Dakhan, about the first evil, killing of Uthman, then the Dakhan, People not following his guidance, not following the sunnah. Then the evil after that, callers at the gates of hellfire. Hudayf is listening to this and, and comprehending this. Then he's saying, okay, what do you command me if I reach this time? In another narration, what do you see? So Hudayfa knew, once he's heard these things, right? The evil, and the dakhan, and the callers at the gates of hellfire. He, he knows that what this means, what the messenger is saying, that a man is going to be put to trial in his religion. And what the messenger came with of knowledge and guidance is going to be confused. A person is going to be put to trial in relation to that knowledge. And he did not want to be from amongst those people. So, um, and this is when the sunnah is overturned and it appears as bid'ah. And bid'ah is presented and it appears to be, you know, in the form of the sunnah. So he didn't, he wanted to, wanted to protect himself from, from any of, from all of this. And this is why he asked this question. So the messenger of Allah gave the first piece of advice. He said, Talzamu jama'at al-Muslimin wa that you adhere to the jama'ah of the Muslims and their imam right so this now is the first scenario the first situation um, meaning that if there is a political leadership and a Muslim leader 
around whom Muslims have gathered and there is a flag and a leadership, then this is the way to protect yourself from fitan, from being within that jama'ah or that you know, gathering or that group of people. Why? Because it is, uh, it is a place of safety. Uh, it is a place where you know, the rights are established. There is a free right to travel. You don't have to fear for your life. You don't have to fear insurgency. You don't have to fear uh, highway robbers. You don't have to fear because there is some degree of law and order behind the imam of the Muslims. And obviously, ideally, this should be imam of the Muslims in a jama'ah upon the jama'ah of truth, right? Of people of the sunnah, if that is present, right? But here it says the jama'ah of the Muslims and the imam. <clears throat> As the Sheikh says, because here, uh, here the, uh, the word of the people is united, the oppressed one is aided, the oppressor is repelled, the, the paths of travel are made secure, the rights are restored, right? So meaning that there's some degree of law and order under which you can live and you are safe in your religion, right? And now I want to come back, I want to come back to the issue. Remember I spoke about the Rafida and the Khawarij and I want to come back now to, again, come back to Iraq and Syria and Libya. Now, and we mentioned this before as well. Each of these three countries, the rulers of these three countries, the scholars of the Muslims considered them to be kuffar, disbelievers. Saddam Hussein was declared to be a kafir. Why? Because he is a ba'thi. Ba'thi, he's a ba'thi, communist, ba'thi. And the scholars declared him to be a kafir. Assad of Syria is a nusayri. He's worse then the Yahud and the Nasara, the Nusayris, what they believe in, is the most extreme groups of the, of the Shia, of the Rafida. Right? Nusayri, he's not a Muslim. And Gaddafi, some, some of the scholars declared him to be, uh, considered him to be a disbeliever because he had his green book of socialism and because he criticized the Quran. You know, he said, why is there Qul? Why do we need to say Qul? You know, Qul a'udhu bi rabbi al-falak. Why is the Qul in? He made some criticisms of the, of the, of the Quran to, the, to that effect, something along those lines. So the scholars considered him to be a disbeliever. Right. Now, even in these countries, what happened is there were people who were unhappy. They were unhappy. There's injustice. Saddam Hussein is, is unjust. You know, this one in Syria, Assad, he's unjust. He's slaughtering the people of the Sunnah. He's this, he's that, whatever, which is which all true. And Gaddafi, you know, he's oppressing the people, which is true as well. It's true as well. So when the people began to be discontent and started like the Arab Spring, you know, which was an operation from the outside to instigate these people. And then this kicked off a series of disturbances. And then those disturbances grew. And then it allowed the people who were plotting to take advantage of that situation to topple the rulers, to try to, try to topple the rulers, right? So they got rid of Saddam. Um, they didn't get rid of Assad, but they got rid of Gaddafi. What's the result of all of that? What's the result in all of these places, right? Absolute turmoil, 
hundreds of thousands of people minimum, uh, their lives destroyed, infrastructure completely destroyed, the oil stolen, being stolen from northern Syria, from Libya, from Iraq, the Rafida of Iran gaining an upper hand in the region because they kind of really took over, over Iraq really. Um, and, and so, so they've taken over that and then Assad is, is uh, you know, from the Nusairi, so that's alliance there, right? And then turmoil in Nibis, Libya, civil, civil war, right? And then you have the Daesh, ISIS appearing in all of these places as well, the Khawarij appearing. All of this is exactly what the people, you know, from outside, what they wanted, right? Now, if we were to say to somebody, have patience, have sabr, don't, don't revolt, because obviously these people do not understand the wisdom in the Sharia, the wisdom of the Sharia. Because the Sharia has come to repel the greater evil, even at the expense of a lesser evil, and to attain the greater good at the expense of a lesser good, to, to attain the greater good at the expense of a lesser good. This is how the, what the Sharia has come with. And this is a proof that the guidance of the Messenger of Allah is the truth because if it was to be based upon reason and intellect and man's idea of justice, then the Sharia would have come with, if you see injustice from the ruler, revolt against him. Right? Because this is what we see in the philosophies of men. This is what we see if you look in all of the Western philosophies, Marxism, socialism, communism, all, and all the philosophers, this is all that you see, revolution, revolution for justice, social justice, social equality, right? Tyranny, we have to, uh, but the Sharia didn't come with that. The Sharia came with the opposite. It said that even if the ruler is sinful, tyrannical, oppresses you, doesn't give you, his, doesn't give you your rights, takes your money, imprisons you, has the heart of a devil in the body of a man, and all these kind of descriptions, then you should hear and obey in whatever is good. Not, not in evil, not in haram, not in whatever, but in, in whatever is, is good. Meaning that you don't have to agree with the ruler, but if in, the, in your country there are laws that the ruler has put in place to do with, you know, road traffic, you know, driving and customs and just, then you have to obey in those things. Don't revolt, you know, obey in whatever is good, right? To keep law and order in, in the society, right? This is what the Sharia came with. It prohibited revolution and it prohibited the steps that lead to revolution. With one exception, if the ruler becomes open, clear disbelief, a kafir, and the people have the actual means to remove him without creating more evil, then they should remove him. But in the absence of that, then you have to you know, behave in the way that we mentioned, right? This is what the Sharia came with. And if you were to take it by the intellects of men, they would say the opposite. The rule is evil, we have to revolt, let's gather, let's do a coup, let's assassinate him. Let's, you know, this, this leads to tremendous evil. And so the clearest proof of that is Look at these three countries, Libya, Syria, Iraq. And the leaders of these countries are not even Muslim. 
And even then that advice would have been the better advice. Right? Don't revolt against Saddam because there's outside people trying to cause destabilization because they want to steal the oil. And so they will use that discontent in ignorant people and use it to their advantage. Saddam Hussein will die, somebody else will come, the situation will change. Just like Libya, Gaddafi will die. Let him, let him. You had patience for 30, 40 years, why not wait another 10? He'll die anyway. Somebody else will come in place which won't be like him. And you just rectify yourself, Allah, whatever. Allah will change the situation. Is that better or is this better what you have now? Right? And even with Syria, even though we say that Assad is a Nusayri, Baqini, Kafir, an evil man, and his people, they, they uh, torture and punish the Sunni Muslims in Syria, even with, with him, that if you didn't follow this, this Arab Spring and revolt, then this turmoil wouldn't be there in Syria. Most of the Syrian population is Sunni Muslim. Right? And the ruling majority, the, the, sorry, the ruling minority is, is Nusayri. Right? So it's mostly Sunni Muslim population that, it, that is suffering all of this, uh, this the hardship. Just have patience. Right? So, this is, this is why when we as people of the Sunnah, when we speak about obeying the ruler in that which is good, it doesn't mean that we are accepting his evil and condoning his evil and you know compromising the truth. No, it is because there is a wisdom behind this. Right? It is for the protection of the Muslims. It is for the protection of that land. It is to maintain internal uh, security. It is to allow people to continue with their livelihoods. It is to keep the streets and the roads and the journeys safe. It is to protect the nation from outside uh, subjugation. There are so many things that, that the wisdoms that, that are behind this, right? So anyhow, the Sheikh says that this is the first piece of advice. Uh, and so, when, so, so the first point of advice is that whether, whenever there is a ruler and a leader, then that is a place of safety, right? Because why? There is order, there is law, there is regulation. To various degrees, there is, there, is, there is justice. And so you living under that and not following this group or that group or that sect or this insurgent group or this group was calling for marches, democracy, uh, you know, uh, social, whatever. Leave all these. Just go and live with the jama'ah of the Muslims and you will be safe in your religion, you'll be safe in your world. Right? That's the first piece of advice. So the Sheikh then goes on for the next page or so, he goes on to mention how... Um, uh, he speaks about... Uh, uh, the da'wah of Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah uh, and his offspring and how they purified the land of shirk and united the people and established you know, a state under which people lived under safety and security. So he speaks about that and just the general ni'mah and the blessing of having this uh, aman, this safety, this security uh, which you don't find in, on, in other places. Right? So whatever you see the principle of obedience to the ruler in what is ma'roof Ma'roof, not absolute obedience in everything, in what is ma'roof. Whenever you see that, then you'll see that nation will remain prosperous and there will be safety, right? And there won't be any turmoil. And whatever you see in nations where this is not the case, you see there is turmoil. There is civil strife, 
there's disturbance, right? There's poverty. There's, you know, you don't feel safe, right? So this is, this is you can see it. Today you can observe it. You can see this is, this is the case. So after mentioning all of that, the sheikh goes on to um, mention a statement from Fudail bin Iyad, rahimahullah ta'ala, alika bitariq al-huda, wala yadurruk, wala yadurruka, <coughs> so he said, Alika which means <clears throat> upon you is to follow the paths of guidance <clears throat> and do not let the small number of people upon that path to harm you. Don't be harmed if there's only a small number of people upon this path. And beware of the paths of misguidance and do not be deceived by the great number <clears throat> of those who are destroyed or those who perish, those who are destroyed. So, the Sheikh then goes on to say that Hudayfa then said, but what if فَإِلَّمْ تَكُنْ لَهُمْ جَمَاعَةً وَلَا إِمَامٌ So now this is the second scenario that we might find ourselves in. What if they do not have a jama'a nor an imam? And <clears throat> Sheikh goes on to say that um, this is, this is where you have <coughs> call us to misguidance and there is no jama'ah, no imam. How do we save ourselves from all of this turmoil and from these callers of misguidance and from this dakhan that is present? What do we do if there is no jama'ah, no imam? So the messenger of Allah, what did he say? He said, فَاَعْتَزِلْ تِلْكَ الْفِرَقَ كُلَّهَا وَلَوْ أَنْتَ عَدَّ عَلَىٰ أَسْلِ شَجَرَةٍ he said, abandon all of these groups, all of them, even if you were at, even if you had to bite onto the root of a tree until death comes to you and you are upon that state. So here now the advice, so if you don't have a jama'ah nor an imam, then we are advised to keep away from all of these factions, all of these groups, and uh, the Sheikh uh, says that what is the intent uh, of, of the Messenger of Allah here? Woman ahsanu min Allahi hukma. Allah said, Who is better than the one, who better than Allah in, in judgment? Who is the one who is most knowledgeable of the judgment of Allah after the Messenger of Allah? Right? Meaning that this is what the Messenger advised Hudayfa with, this itself being advice in the religion and a judgment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the messenger didn't, didn't say to Hudayfa okay take your sword take your weapons now go and just start fighting all those people he didn't say that right he could have said that but he said instead abandon all of those sects and what what does this mean this shows that, and in fact, there's another point here as well I want to tie into the, to the previous thing as well. 
is that <clears throat> wherever, wherever you do not have clarity in Tawheed and the Sunnah and following the way of the Salaf, wherever you don't see that visible clearly, then it's, it's unclear what you would be fighting for. Right, because there's, there's like, let me give an example. Like, let's say, for example, you are in Iraq or you are in Syria or you're in Libya or whatever. Because there's, because these problems have arisen, because people haven't stuck to the religion, and because there are innovations and misguidance, and Allah puts people to trial through His wisdom, because of not adhering to the guidance of the Messenger of Allah then everything becomes confused and murky and it's hard to figure out what's, what's really going on here what's, and who's fighting for what, right? Because there's multiple layers of, of things going on. So imagine, for example, in Syria, you know, a person gets killed and he doesn't know why he's got killed. You know, we saw in 2013, 2014 when ISIS, when they appeared, people being taken from their homes, being shot, not knowing why they got killed. What's going on? There's, there's you know, there's the the evil ruler, then there's a revolution against him, then there's the agendas of the non-Muslims, of the Yahud and of the whatever, so they're in there, and then the whole thing becomes murky. And you don't know what's, what's really going on, and what's, what's, the fight isn't really about Tawheed and Sunnah, right? It's, it's a fight for oil, a fight for leadership, a fight, there's different agendas taking place but there isn't anywhere in all of this you know someone calling to Tawheed and the Sunnah making wala and bara on that and then fighting on the basis there isn't really anything there like that we can't see a clear you know like what the prophets and the messengers and those who follow what they call to right so whenever that is not present whatever is going on is murky it's cloudy there's multiple agendas at play and you don't know and that's why as you see you keep away from all of that you don't get involved this this is like fitna and you don't get involved in the fitna because you know and that's why as the sheikh says the messenger of some didn't say take your weapon and you know wadrib uh, and go and start fighting he didn't say that you know, he said, "Fa'atazil tilka al-firqa kullaha." He said, "Keep away from all of these groups," and that shows that the the, the firqa, the, the one, the jama'ah, is a single thing. is is a single thing. It is it is one thing, <clears throat> and there isn't like many jama'at. There's only one jama'ah. The jama'ah meaning one firqa, one group. Right, and so the Sheikh was on to mention how some of these groups they try to say, Well, why are you saying we are a firqa? We're not a firqa, we are, we're a jama'ah. But the Messenger of Islam, what did he say? If you look at the hadith in the hadith of Hudayfa, he called them all firq. And then uh, in the hadith of Hudayfa, he also said, Jama'atul Muslimin wa imamahum. So he called the jama'ah of the Muslims that jama'ah. And he called everyone who's other than that a firq. Right? So meaning that they mean that jama'ah meaning firqa. Firqa meaning jama'ah, same thing. So you can't claim oh, we, we, we just a jama'ah, we're not a firqa. Because the Messiah used these two words interchangeably within that, within that hadith. 
Anyhow, the Shaykh coming towards the end of the, of the explanation now, he says, what is this jama'ah that is going to be saved from all of these trials and tribulations? You know, it is, it is only one of all of the factions and groups amongst the Muslims, and it is al-firqatul najiyah wa ta'ifatul mansura and so on and so forth this is the people who are upon the way of the Sahaba upon the Quran, upon the Sunnah following the Sahaba and as for those besides them they are from the 72, 72 sects and these are threatened with punishment they are threatened with ruin and destruction obviously we're not saying that they are outside the fold of Islam but they are under the threat of punishment in uh, the hereafter so uh, the Shaykh goes on to say that the way of these people is the book and the sunnah, the way of the people of hadith, the way upon the, the way of, of the salaf, and they have two foundations. It is either a text or it is consensus. Everything that we follow has to be either in text or it has to be a matter of ijma, right? And these are our proofs. It is nas or ijma, text or consensus. And so anyone who opposes either text or consensus then it is rejected from that person. And, you know, whenever we do not have a jama'ah of the Muslims, then a Muslim, you know, uh, he should um, avoid all of the fitan, avoid all of the tribulations, avoid all of the sects, avoid all of the parties, and, you know, not participate in any of that fitna. And so this brings us to the end of the explanation, to the end of what the Sheikh has mentioned. So this also concludes our series. So alhamdulillah, there's many, many beneficial things that the Sheikh mentioned in there. Um, and so we'll bring our lesson to a close uh, for this evening, inshallah. And we'll start something new the next time that we meet up, inshallah ta'ala. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.